0: Morning again. Uh, We as a church are in week three now of our Zechariah series. So uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible. Uh, You can always pick up a Bible from the welcome table in the hallway. Uh, If you did pick up one of our church Bibles, we're on page 647. Uh, You can use our app too to look at the scripture passage. Uh, Just download the Renovation Church app and you tap on outdoor services and then uh, weekly verses. But we'd love for you to be looking at uh, God's word today. While you're finding Zechariah, let me kinda catch you up on where we are in the Bible. So Zechariah was a prophet, who ministered about 520 years before Jesus and he was speaking to the Jews who had just come back from exile in Babylon and now we're back in uh, Jerusalem and God gives uh, Zechariah <clears throat> excuse me he gives uh, Zechariah eight different uh, visions and these are visions that God is using to convey truth to his people through Zechariah and today we are on the fourth of the eight visions that Zechariah had now as we start unpacking this uh, particular uh, vision I want you to notice in this vision how the gospel, I'm going to say that word a lot today, so if you don't know the word gospel, it just um, basically means good news. It's the good news that we can be forgiven through our faith in Jesus. And I want you to know how much the gospel just permeates this particular uh, chapter of the Old Testament. You're going to see the Christian gospel in the glory in glory today, even though we're in the Old Testament. And friends, this is partly why I wanted to do this 14-week series on an obscure prophet in the Old Testament because I want you to see that the gospel is everywhere. It's all over the scriptures. It doesn't matter if you're reading in the New Testament or the Old, it's there. So let's take a look at the Word of God. So we're Zechariah chapter 3 uh, and we are going to start at the first two verses. Here's what it says. He says, Then he showed me. So he's having a vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Okay, Uh, what we're gonna uh, do today is I wanna take a a look at uh, some pretty amazing things, but before we do that, let me just explain the three uh, people that are in this vision, uh, one by one. So the first person we see is Joshua, the high priest. Now, the high priest of the Jewish people was the one who basically offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. He represented the people. Like on the day of atonement, he offered the main sacrifice for the people to God. And so in this vision, Joshua, the high priest, is representing God's people. And now he's representing us. He's representing uh, believers, okay? The next figure in the vision is the angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord is kind of a curious figure in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord actually shows up a number of times, and sometimes as an angel, sometimes he actually appears in the appearance of a man, and he's representing God, but sometimes he even speaks as if he is God. And so many commentators actually suspect that the angel of the Lord is Jesus before he has come to Earth, but at some point, because it says right there in the text, the Lord rebuke you. He's answering as the Lord. It is the Lord speaking. And then the third figure uh, in the vision is Satan. It's the devil. Okay, so now that we know that, look at verse one one more time, and let's let's see if we can make some more sense of it. it says then he showed me Joshua the high priest. So that's going to stand for us. Okay, standing before the angel of the Lord. It's going to be Jesus, the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And he's accusing uh, Joshua there. So. In this chapter, we're actually gonna see a double fulfillment again. This is a a, a teaching phrase we use to explain prophecy in the Old Testament. So we're gonna talk about this a lot this summer. But a double fulfillment, uh, if you weren't here last week, is essentially a prophecy that is partially fulfilled in the near term and then more completely fulfilled in a later date. So in one sense, yes, this is going to be a vision about how God has saved Jerusalem from the fire of Babylon and has a great future for them. But in a deeper sense, we are gonna see the gospel the good news of God for you and for me and for any who would accept it. In fact, what I want to do today is I actually want to show you not one, not two, but five glorious truths of the gospel right here in the book of Zechariah. In fact, I think these are so good for your heart and for your head that I encourage you so much to actually take notes today if you can. Uh, If Your notes aren't going to blow away, I guess, outside or anything. uh, Even if you take them digitally, uh, if you have a note taking app that you use, you can do it actually in our app. Even if you tap on messages and you go to today's message, there's a little button there that says take a note and it'll save it within this particular message which is kind of cool. But I just think there's something when you're studying the word of God, you want to write things down so that you can remember it and use it later. Okay, so here's the first gospel truth we're going to see in Zechariah 3. Number one, he snatched you from the fire. He snatched you from the fire. This is the gospel truth that Joshua, remember that stands for us, was a burning stick snatched from the fire fire. That's the end of verse 2. And as Christians, it is so critical that we understand this part of the gospel correctly, because more and more people nowadays would say, well, there is no fire. God, God will never have hell even exist. Why would God do that? Because God is love. But I always say to people, God isn't just love. God is also holy. God is also just. And there is, the Bible says, an eternal fire coming as judgment for our sin. And people will go there to pay for their sins if they don't let Jesus Christ pay for their sins instead. Because when you believe in Jesus, he snatches you like a burning stick from the fire. I see other Christians, they mix up this gospel truth in a slightly different way. And they think of humanity not as a burning stick, but more like a precious gem in the fire. And I think there are a lot of people out there, if you ask them, like, hey, why... Why, are you th- why do you think you're going to heaven? They would say, I don't know, because you know, I, I believe in God and, I'm, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty decent person. And yet that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not like God is looking down and saying, whoa, whoa, she is, no, that's, she's an impressive woman. I gotta, well, he, I could really use him, I gotta. That's not what it says. It says we are a burning stick, a charred stick. We're full of sin, we're dirty, we're messy. And we don't like to hear that, right? Because we like to think of ourselves as so much better. That's not what the Bible says. And let me tell you something. You being a burning stick and not a precious gem, I think actually increases the love of God for you. Like, okay, let me explain it this way. If someone comes up to me and they say, David, I just love you, which is weird, uh, but just (laughs) go with it. David, I love you. I think you're a great pastor. I would say, okay, well, that's, that's nice, I guess. But if a family member comes up to me, and they, despite seeing all my sin and all my flaws, every day, they say, but I still love you. Right? That's a deeper love, and that's the love of God that we're seeing in the scriptures. You are a burning stick. We bring nothing, and yet God loves us anyway and he has rescued us from the fire. So that's, that's number one. You're a burning stick snatched from the fire. Here's the second gospel truth that we see in the Old Testament here in Zechariah 3. Number two is this. He advocates for you. So write that down. Number two, he advocates for you. I think this is one of the great truths of the scripture, and I yearn for more Christians to actually know this from the Bible. So, okay, here's the deal. We sin, right? Okay, we mess up, we make mistakes all of the time, and then what the Bible says happens is Satan and his legions, they send their flaming arrows, Ephesians 6 says, often at our minds, and when you mess up, especially when you really mess up, those sort of thoughts come into your head that say, hey, you actually think you're still a Christian? Like, you think that you're you think God loves you for that? He doesn't love you anymore. Like You think you could do that and actually go to heaven? Right? And those thoughts, they come in. And, and we're even being accused by the devil to the Lord. And in the vision, in the passage that we see here, how did the Lord respond to those accusations? He basically, you see, he basically says to the devil, you shut your mouth, right? He rebukes him for bringing the accusations. And you know what's really cool? In the New Testament, we see the same imagery as Zechariah talks about in Jesus because Jesus is described as our advocate. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse one says if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus, Christians, is your advocate. That means he speaks up on our behalf. Uh, in his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund, uh, which is an excellent book on the character of Christ, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, he's got a great chapter in that book about Jesus being our advocate. And he asked this question, so let me ask it to you. He asks, how do you think about Jesus' attitude toward the dark pocket of your life that only you know about? Like the overdependence upon alcohol or, or, or the lost temper time and again or the shady business about your finances, or the people pleasing, which actually is just the fear of man, or the resentment that just burst out in this kind of behind the back gossip and accusations, or the habitual use of pornography. And he says, who is Jesus to you in those moments? Who is he, not once you conquer the sin, but who is Jesus in the midst of those sins? I think that's a good question. Like in the darkest moments of your life, as Satan is accusing you of sin, maybe even rightly so, what is Jesus doing in those moments? Well, the Bible says he's advocating for you. He's defending you. He's not defending your sin. He longs that you would leave your sin long and far behind you, but he defends you to the Father. Oh, okay, how? How? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't say, first of all. He's, he's not going, Father, Father, just give them another chance, right? They're actually, they're, they're really a good person. This is not who they are. Like, they're going to pull it together. That's like kind of American postmodern Jesus, okay? That's not biblical Jesus. So, what does he say? I heard uh, Timothy, the late great Timothy Keller, uh, explain it like this once. He said, Jesus is your advocate. An advocate is like a defense attorney. And a defense attorney. doesn't just emotionally plead with the judge. The defense attorney makes a case. And so Jesus, when you sin, is going to go to the Father, and he's going to say, Father, your law demands payment for sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. And he's going to say, so here is the payment. Father, look at my blood. I have made the payment for that sin with my death on the cross. And so therefore, Father, it would be completely unjust for you to get two payments for sin. The payment has been made. They cannot be punished. I have already snatched them from the fire once and for all. What a truth, right? And so when you mess up this week, because we will, you remind yourself of gospel truths, that Jesus Christ has snatched you from the fire and he is advocating for you with the Father In heaven, But the gospel is even richer than that. Okay, let's keep reading. Now we're on verse three. We're still in the vision. It says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Okay, again, this is the gospel in the Old Testament. So Joshua can't stand in the presence of this holy and perfect God with all of his dirty clothes, filthy clothes. In fact, the Hebrew word for filthy, uh, it's even filthier than a word that we have in English. It means essentially that Joshua has like vomit and excrement on his clothes. It's, It's representing absolute, total sin. Okay, this is who we are. And hear me, this, this may sound strong, but this is biblical truth. If you are not saved by God, okay, if you have not put your trusting faith in Jesus Christ and his death for you, the Bible makes it really clear, you will not go to heaven. Okay, you will not be saved. Even if at your judgment you would say, no, 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 Father, that can't be, you cannot send me to hell because I was a good person. Father, I, I, I I've, I've volunteered in, in, in the community, I coached my kids winless soccer team. I did this and this and this. We feel like we're a good person, right? But the thing is, when you're sort of saying that to God, you're saying that through your own eyes. You're seeing your life through your own light, but not through His. And let me explain it this way. I started doing my own uh, laundry uh, when I was 18, when I went to college. Uh, Don't judge me, by the way. Uh, My mom was super nice. Uh, And I, I would always... For right or for wrong, when I did my laundry, you know, I'd put it in the wash and I would take my laundry detergent and I would, you know, pour it all over my clothes and then do, do all the stuff. Well, I remember one night I was going to this big hangout at somebody's dorm and the person, they had black lights all over their dorm and people were going to hang out in there. And I remember I was walking in, this was like 2000, 2001, and I... I was walking into the dorm room and I was feeling so fresh and so clean, clean at the time. And I had like my structure T-shirt on. That was really cool at the time. I was feeling great, okay? And I go into the dorm room, except they've got black lights everywhere. And I walk into the room, I'm not joking. My clothes had spots and lines all over them from where I had poured my laundry detergent on my clothes. It was unbelievably exposing and embarrassing. Now, in a similar way, you may feel in your eyes like, yeah, I'm good, I'm clean. But when, trust me, when the holy light of a perfect God shines on your life, your sin will be exposed in a similar way. But it doesn't have to be that way because things are so different with Jesus Christ. Because for the Christian, We believe that God has not only snatched us from the fire, not only is he advocating for us, but he also is giving us new clothes. Okay, this is the third gospel truth. So number three, he clothes you in righteousness. He clothes you in righteousness. Church, this is an illustration that we use all the time. Many of you have heard me say this 50 times, right? But here it is right in Zechariah, right? What do we always say? We always say it's like... When you put your faith in Jesus, that he gets your sin, right, on the cross, and then this amazing trade happens, and what do we get back through our faith? You get then clothed in his righteousness. And that same illustration is right here in the book of Zechariah 500 years earlier. And so when we meet God in heaven for judgment, Christians, we don't need to tremble. We don't need to worry, because you're not there with all of the sin exposed. You are clothed in his garments. Perfect, clean in his eyes. I just pray that that gospel truth, that it changes the way you live. Because sometimes, I don't know, if you feel this sometimes, I feel like sometimes when we really mess up and we make mistakes, even though like, we kind of understand the Bible, I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I gotta be good again. Like I gotta kind of improve my heavenly resume. You know, I gotta kind of get good in God's eyes again. But the Bible's saying, no, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're already clean. The, the, that the new clothes, they don't get spots on them. Because you're clothed in his righteousness. And I just want to tell you, that is so different than any other religion in the world. I mentioned to uh, you all about a month ago that I uh, was planning to study the Quran which is the book of the Muslims, and I finished reading it last week, and one of the things that really jumped out to me uh, as I was reading it is the Quran claims that people have an angel on each shoulder, and so Muslims believe that uh, on your right shoulder, there is an angel that records all of your good deeds, and on your left shoulder, there's an angel that records all of your bad deeds. And they believe that then when they come before God at judgment, a record will be produced of all of their good and bad deeds. And if they have enough good, then they will enter into paradise. And if they have more bad than good, then they will enter into the eternal fire of judgment. And by the way, the Quran talks about the eternal fires of hell about every 15 verses. It is incredibly intense. But the gospel of Christ And I I pray that every Muslim in our city hears the gospel. Is that we will never be good enough. Is that the record is absolutely going to say, you didn't make it. It's full of that. But Jesus Christ loves you anyway. And he came for you and offered his life for you. And as believers, when we believe in that, that should change our lives. So even in our darkest moments, in the darkest hour of our mistakes, when we know, you just know, my good is never going to outweigh my bad, you don't have to question his love for you. And you don't have to question your salvation because it's not dependent upon you. But the gospel is richer still. Okay, let's move to verse 6 now. Verse 6 is this. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Okay, here's the fourth gospel truth from Zechariah number three. Number four, he blesses you as you walk in his ways. He blesses you as you walk in his ways. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel. We're about as far as that as you could be as a church. If you've never heard that phrase before, the prosperity gospel is a false teaching uh, that Jesus wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy and all of those sort of things. Uh, These verses, I think, are more in line with what Jesus teaches in the New Testament, where he says, those who follow in my ways are like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And those who don't follow in my ways are like the man who built his house upon the sand. Now, the rain's going to come either way, right? But walking in Jesus's teachings, you're so much more easily able to stand. And I think this is also kind of God reminding Joshua, okay, this amazing grace of God, you cannot take this in vain. Okay, you cannot abuse it. And that's why it says, verse 7, if you walk in obedience to God and walk in his ways, keep his requirements, then we are gonna walk in so many ways in his blessing. You know, honestly, some of this is, I don't know if we even get this anymore, but some of this is like common sense, right? If you are a person who is faithful, and you are trustworthy, and you are kind, and you live with integrity, that does bring blessing to your relationships, right? In many ways, it brings blessing even at work. If you are imitating Jesus, right, good things will happen. And I think the emphasis in this section is the gospel, it's not just something for far off into the future, it's for the here and now, too. God is working and moving amongst us right here and now. But there is something rich about the gospel for the future, too, okay, and that's the final gospel truth. I'm gonna give you number five even before we read the, the passage. Number five is this, he has given you a glorious future. He's given you a glorious future. So look at this powerful prophecy here as chapter three finishes. So we're on uh, verse eight. It says, listen, high priest, Joshua. So this is the Lord speaking. You and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your fine, your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Okay, so what, what is this future that Zechariah is seeing here? You, you look at the very end of verse 8. Uh, you see where it says, I'm gonna bring my servant the branch. Now the branch is actually a title for the Messiah that you see a number of times in the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah talks about the Messiah being the branch and so does Isaiah, in fact. And the idea is that this Messiah is going to branch out salvation from just Israel and the Jews is gonna branch it out to the Gentiles as well, right? All of us, I I suppose you could be Jewish, all of us as non-Jewish people and bring fruit and salvation to them as well. And the Messiah is also called the stone here. It's also a common prophecy you see from the Old Testament and that we talk about in the New Testament because Jesus is the, we just sang about it this morning, the cornerstone, right? He's the one in which our whole faith is built around. And then you see the stone, did you see how many eyes the stone had? How many eyes? Seven. Okay, what does that mean? This is symbolic prophecy. It's imagery here. Well, so that the, the imagery really matters. Well, to have eyes in, in prophetic imagery is to see, specifically, it's to know, okay? And seven in the Bible, when you see it almost always means complete or perfect. So it's saying this cornerstone, this Messiah is gonna have perfect, complete knowledge. Well, who's that? Well it's God. So the Messiah is not just a person, the Messiah is God, and he's coming down. And when he comes down to earth, what will he do? It says he will remove the sin of the land in a single day. Now, that would have been somewhat shocking, because as a Jewish listener, what did you do? When you sinned, well, you had to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, and then if you sinned again, which you would, probably like on the way home, uh, eventually, you had to go back, right? You had to offer another sacrifice, and another, and another. But now... A savior is coming, one that if you believe in faith, he will snatch you out of the fire. One that loves you so much that he will never stop advocating for you even when you stray. One that will clothe you with his clothes of royalty like his own child. One that will walk with you in the here and now, one that even after looking the entire body of evidence for all of your sin, even after listening to the devil rattle on over and over about all of your sin and about how you should be condemned to hell, our God will say, you shut your mouth, devil. I'm coming down for them. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to earth and he gives his life for yours so that in a single day, He would wipe away all of your sin. And he has a future for you, a future eternity for you under the vine and under the fig where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more crying. And that is the gospel. And here it is in the Bible 500 years before it even happened. Okay, because God is good and his word is true. And so I just urge you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I urge you, give your life to Jesus Christ. This is absolutely true. I mean, the number of predictions fulfilled in here, the number of ways we have seen God moving in this church, the number of people who have given their lives to Jesus and seen him completely transform it in six months and a year, God is real. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And I pray that you would give your life to him because that's how you're saved. It's not by being good enough because you're just still gonna have spots all over you. You need new clothes, right? You need to be forgiven in faith and that's how we're forgiven. We believe that Jesus Christ died in our place and when you believe that in faith, he will forgive you. He will come into your life and lead you in a new way and then he offers you eternity in heaven, not in hell because of your faith because he'll have died for your sins and everybody's got to make a choice. Do you believe that or do you not? right? This is the most important question of your entire life. Have you placed your faith in Jesus or have you not? And it doesn't matter how much you've done. It doesn't matter if you don't normally go to church. It doesn't matter if you've really strayed from him. You can put your faith in him today, and it will absolutely change your life and your eternity, and I urge you to do so. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity to do that even this morning, okay, right now. So let's just have everybody, would you just close your eyes, maybe even bow your head just, just for a minute, because I, I just want this to be a moment between, between you and God, if I am talking to you and you know that you need to surrender to God. You need to you're just thinking man if I died in a car accident on the way home today I don't even know if I would go to heaven I don't know if I'm saved. And you need to surrender to him. Let him pay for your sins. Let him lead your life. Oh my friend he can so change your life. But it starts with you just accepting that and surrendering to him. It's just a choice. It's a choice of faith. If you need to make that choice today, what I want you to do, kind of as a way to just draw a line in the sand, I want you to just raise your hand up in the air to God and say, God, that's me. I need to be forgiven. I want to start following him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up high, wherever you are, and say, God, that's me. I need that. I need that forgiveness. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up? Father, I, I, I need it. I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I want to follow you. Anyone in here who just needs that, would just raise your hand up and say, God, that's me. I want to follow you. Go ahead. i give you five more seconds or so. If that's you, just to just raise it up. Anyone in here? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing anyone in this particular service today. Uh, you, you can all open your eyes. Uh, for those of you here, I just, I pray... As we're going through Zechariah, especially through this chapter, I pray that the gospel is coming alive to you. That it isn't just like, I believe in Jesus and I'm forgiven. It's just so much richer than that, isn't it? Of who he is and his love for us. And I just pray it's hitting home. And I pray that this series is just increasing your faith in God's word too. us. It's just an amazing, amazing book. Okay, we're going to wrap up our service in a second. Uh, if you do still want to make a decision for Jesus or you have in the last couple of weeks and you haven't connected with anyone yet and you want resources to get started, our follow-up team will be right up here in the front right uh, after the service. We'll have a prayer team up here in the front left if you need someone to pray for you in person today. If life's going crazy, please let somebody pray for you today. And then if you're new, uh, I will be leading a renovation rundown in the cafeteria. I'll be from the far back part of the cafeteria. Would love to tell you uh, more about our church. Alright, so let me just pray and then we'll, then we'll be done. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for what you're doing In our midst, and we just thank you so much today for your word, uh, that it is so glorious and so powerful. Uh, We just thank you for your grace, uh, for burning sticks like us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week.